0: Hi, I'm Cody Goff, and this is Game Life Balance U.S. Lifestyle Podcast, and if you're a longtime listener, you'll notice this is not usually how we start the show. <laughs> usually, I start out with ridiculous banter with Jonathan Martin, my co-host, but this week we're doing something a little different. I had the pleasure of talking to the author of a book called The Minds Behind the Games, Interviews with Cult and Classic Video Game Developers. This book has interviews with the creators of 36 popular games who reveal the creative processes that produced some of gaming's classic titles. Off the top of my head, NBA Jam, E.T., Pro Wrestling X. There are lots of others, but those are literally the first three that came into my mind, and we'll talk about more in this interview. The author is Patrick Hickey Jr. He's the founder and editor-in-chief of ReviewFix.com, and you can also follow him on Twitter at ReviewFix.com. And he's a lecturer of English and journalism at Kingsborough Community College in Brooklyn, New York. He's a super entertaining, energetic guy. You will literally get halfway into this episode and be like, I've got to get this book right now because it's really cool. (laughs) And it was a lot of fun. I loved connecting with him. And this may not be the last time you hear from him. So buckle up. Here's the big interview. Stay tuned next week for board games. And then beyond that, who knows? Keep an eye on gamelifebalance.us for more in the future.
1: I'm Adam from the Digital Soup Podcast, a proud member of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're listening to now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other podcasts at gunnageek.com, and get ready, because geekiness begins in 3,
0: 2, 1... is awesome it's so cool because it's it's just people's stories really and you know a lot about these games had you already played all of these games before were you pretty familiar with them when you contacted these developers
1: so it's, it's pretty scary it's like a, i would say this game uh, this game you hear me this book <laughs> took me about um seven months to write but i think i've been writing it for about 34 years so, um, I've played all of these games. I've pretty much beaten all of these games. A- as I do this podcast, I'm sitting in my, my man cave surrounded by about 3000 games, comic books. And, and it's like, uh, this book is, uh a passion project, a labor of love. So yeah, I- I've had a fancy with the gaming industry since I was a little kid. And, uh, when I went to college and I took journalism classes, I, I wrote video game companies so I could get free games to review. And then that was the beginning. And, you know, 13, 14, 15 years later, I, I run my own site. I've covered, uh, the video game industry for examiner, for NBC, for a uh, old school gamer magazine, which I write for now. And, uh, I've built up a nice Rolodex of video game developers. And then it just got to the point where, um, about two years ago I was, uh, full-time at the college that I work at for about two years and I was starting to get a little bored and uh I was like I need to do something and my wife was five months pregnant I'm like I need to write a book now so this way I'm not one of those fathers it's like you yeah, I could have did this I could have did that you know and um uh, <laughs> being a hardcore gamer I'm like it just it just came to that that place where I'm like you know what I'm going to write a video game book so i reached out to about five or six different developers like john van keegan from uh, heroes of might and magic howard scott warshaw Yar's revenge michael menheim mutant league football um and a couple of other ones gary kitchen who did boy and his blob donkey kong and i said if if half of these guys get back to me then i think i have the like the base like the broth for a good chicken soup like video game book and um all six got back to me so uh then after that, I just started cooking. And by the time the book was finished, I had 36 uh, games and about in between 50 and 60 developers on the record and about another like five or 10 off the record for background. So so, yeah, that's kind of like the the story of how this all came to
0: be. Wow. And before we go to inside ball, this podcast has a, a wide audience outside of just video game lovers. But what I think should probably be emphasized is that this book is not just for video game lovers. Uh, there are games that I read about, and I, I hadn't even heard of these games. I knew nothing about them. And they were they were still really engaging because this book, really the main focus, and I'm not sure if this was your intention or not, but seems to be really, what's the story behind the person behind this product?
1: Oh, absolutely, Cody. I, like, I don't even know you and I love you already. Like, <laughs> Because this is the thing. It's like one of the things that inspired this book, too, is I have two nephews. Um, One is 9 and one is 15. And they base all of their video game uh, IQ and all their background on the video game industry off of Wikipedia. Hmm. So it's like, E.T. sucks. And uh, Night Trap is the worst game of all time. And I'm like, (laughs) no, 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 no. There's so much more to these games. And then the thing is, too, I've been a journalist for about 15 years. And my favorite thing to do... In the beginning, it was writing reviews, which is why I started my site, ReviewFix.com and stuff. But it's like over time, I just realized I love to speak to people. I love to interview people, and it kind of ties in with being a college professor and lecturing all the time. But I love speaking to people. And um, every chapter is kind of like, what is this game? Like, why is it special? Why is it unique? But who is this person? How did this person and, like, the things they went through contribute to making this game what it was? So it's kind of like a, an interview anthology with the creators of these games. And the thing is, we learn so much about these people over the course of this book. Like, some of them are living off of royalties. They're living in hotels. They're working 20, 20, uh, you know, 16 to 20 hours a day. So, yeah, it ends up becoming, like, an intimate character portrait of the creator That just happens to be about video games. So if you're not into video games or you're one of those people that's like, oh, it's kid stuff, blah, blah, blah. And you see how hard these people work and the love and the passion that goes into creating these games, you might have a newfound respect for the industry.
0: You're very good at setting the stage for a lot of these games. I the first chapter of the book that I read was actually a totally random chapter i just figured let's flip to a random chapter and and see what happens and i ended up on pro wrestling x and i had never heard of this game i knew nothing about it and actually before i even read it i i was kind of hesitant because i'm like oh this is probably some generic wrestling game that was made for the nes that no one's ever you know like i don't i didn't really care about those games before the nintendo 64 in terms of wrestling games so i'm like ah what is this and you Tell a story. I mean, I know all about the whole legacy of Pro Wrestling X now, and it's really interesting. And now I'm following them on Steam Greenlight. And that whole story is really crazy. So you do a good job of setting the stage. And since you did write about Pro Wrestling X and the WWF WrestleMania arcade game, I've got to ask if you're a wrestling fan.
1: I am I'm actually working on three books right now. One is the uh, sequel to this book. Another one is an academic book that I'm working with like three other professors. And then the last one is a book that kind of uh, chronicles the emotional and physical ramifications of a life in wrestling. So, yeah, I'm a big uh, wrestling aficionado.
0: You know, you're going to like me even more because I am a big wrestling guy, too. <laughs>
1: I've, I've interviewed – like, easily over 50 wrestlers like Daniel Bryan, Dolph Ziggler, uh, Paul Heyman, Harley Race, Diamond Dallas Page, Ted DiBiase. So, it's like that's going to be like one of my next big projects. I'm just taking it a little bit slower with that one. So, but I'm super excited, uh, once that book, uh, kind of gets fleshed out a little bit more.
0: Did you say you have interviewed them already? Yeah, yeah. All right. I might have to ask you for some pitch tips after this.
1: The one game that I really wanted to get into this book was Pokemon. And, uh, Uh, Nintendo ended up sending me like this 50 page PDF with like every single possible fact that you could ever want about the Pokemon uh, series. And I loved it and I still have it. But the thing is, this book is, is all interviews and it's all never like it's all new interviews. So without getting an interview with one of the creators, I couldn't write the chapter. So it kind of hurt. But at the same time, just to get Nintendo to answer me back was pretty cool too.
0: Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because a lot of the games are, are older games like E.T. and NBA Jam and Maniac Mansion. A lot of these games are, are kind of like, I would say classics like Toe Jam and Earl comes to mind or Maniac Mansion or WWF WrestleMania, the arcade game. You talk a lot in your introduction of the book about what kind of makes a classic game and we would have to get into like a big philosophical conversation, but I, I did think that it, you had a really interesting point of view on that. So, I mean, what would you say makes a game a classic game and, and what made these games worthy? Did you go after the game or the maker? Like, did you already know, oh, that's kind of an interesting story behind this or what is it sheer curiosity about the process?
1: Some of these people absolutely threw me for a loop because um, I remember when I was coming up with ideas for games uh, to feature in the book, I would sit in my man cave and kind of like look through all of my games and then also... Um, there's a video game store near my home, Brooklyn Video Games. It's a really good store. And I would tell the guy, listen, I'm just going to sit in here and go through your games. So uh, <laughs> he's a great guy. Um, so and I would kind of come up with ideas. And at first, it was kind of like that retro factor, like good games that were kind of overlooked or really great games like NBA Jam and stuff like that. So I wanted great games. I wanted underrated games. I wanted games that people thought were crap. I wanted indie games. I kind of made not to make another pro wrestling reference, but I remember when Cody Rhodes left the WWE, he made a list of all the people he wanted to wrestle and all the things he wanted to do. He wanted people to throw uh, streamers at him and stuff. And, um, he put this list on Twitter and I kind of did the same thing. Like I, I made a list of all the types of people and all the types of games that I wanted to feature in the book. So it was just a matter of like hitting all of those like superhero games. Um, a fighting game from the 90s, a sports game from the 90s, you know, like uh, uh, a PC-only game, like all all of these uh, different things. That's like kind of what I was going at. And some of these people totally surprised me. Some of these stories um, I wasn't expecting because a lot of these people hadn't been interviewed the way that I was trying to interview them. So it's like uh, Gary Kitchen, who did Keystone Capers for the Atari 2600, and he also programmed uh, Donkey Kong, On the Atari 2600, he was telling me all about Super Battle Tank, and the reason why I featured Super Battle Tank is because it was like my dad's favorite game when I was a kid for the Super Nintendo. And I remember watching him play it, and I knew it was like the party was over because watching him play it was like awful. It was like, (laughs) like how could you play this? And then I remember one night he had fallen asleep, and I'm like, oh, you know what? Let me try this. And the game was really good; it held up well. So. And that, that guy's name, and Gary Kitchen, it just always resonated with me. Like, I would watch like, for his next games to come out, and then I found out all about the history of, like, he's like a founding father of the Guitar 2600. So when I interviewed him for Super Battle Tank, he told me that during uh, U2's um, Zoo TV tour that, like, The Edge would play Super Battle Tank, like, on the big screen TV and just talk about <laughs> how realistic the game was. And I was like, holy crap, like, I don't think he ever told anybody that story before. So that, that started to like arise my curiosity of like, I'm going to tell these people, every single person that I speak to, tell me something about your game that you haven't told anybody else before. And that's when I got all of these really good nuggets and stories like in Mutant League football, uh, Michael Menheim tells the story of like, when they put a new producer on the game, uh, they weren't getting along. So they went to go like, go play golf. And Michael Menheim hit the bull, like, near a cliff and told the guy, Sam Nelson, like, dude, if you're really not getting along with me, my bull's on the cliff. When I go to hit it, just push me off the cliff and, and make the game that you want to make. Wow. So that's what ended up happening. It started with, this game is really fun to play, and, like, people will, will know the name. Like, if I say, where in the world is Carmen Diego? you'll go, oh, okay, I know that game. But then in the chapter, Dane Bigham talks about how the game didn't really sell well its first, like, two years until one of their uh, employees started to pitch the game to elementary schools. That was, like, what what ended up making the game the cultural phenomenon that it was. So every chapter I try to uncover something new about the game and then also to kind of introduce you to the person. Because you could easily say, like, Cody, Romeo and Juliet, who wrote it?
0: William Shakespeare.
1: Duh. Like, super easy. Uh, Who played Captain America in the last Avengers film? Chris Evans? Is that the guy? There you go. But then when I say, like, who created uh, Grand Theft Auto? You'll go, oh, Rockstar. Right. You don't know the guy. The guy that pitched it to Rockstar. So why do we know films, music, literature, but we don't know video games? It's kind of scary. So that's... I wanted to... I was, like, kind of on a one-man quest because there's a lot of video game books that are reference styled or, or, um, like list based and things like that. And I wanted this to be really, really different. And I love the fact, like I immediately connected with you when you were like, Oh, I just, I didn't even read it from the beginning. I just skipped to this chapter. That's kind of like what I want. I want people to be like on the train and say, you know what? Today I'll read the Mortal Kombat chapter today. You don't have to read this book from the beginning. It's supposed to be like a really cool conversation about a game. And then we move on to the next one.
0: There are some names that jump into the game development community. Obviously, Hideo Kojima is one of the top ones. Uh, Sakurai for Smash Brothers. Even the people that play MMOs. Uh, Yoshi P, who runs Final Fantasy XIV. John Romero. There, there's a couple, a couple names kind of bubble up. But it does seem very sparse. Have you noticed... Is there a time period or a pattern or a reason for this? Or do some studios just put their talent front and center? Or do some developers that are lead developers just really make sure that their name is on that stamp, well, why is there that disconnect where ev- most of the people in this book maybe you haven't heard of and some you have? Like, Why is it so inconsistent?
1: Because for a really long time, it, it was two things. It's like Sega didn't want to put the names of their developers in their games because they were scared that their talent would get poached by another developer. It's mm. one reason. But then also, too, um, one of the reasons why Activision exists today is because David Crane said, you know, like, he was working for Atari and was like, why why don't I get to put my name on my game? And they were like, well, you work for Atari. And he was like, well, I'm going to start my own my own company. And that's how Activision began. And then David Crane started to put his names on his game. And Howard Scott Warshaw, who did Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, Yards Revenge, and E.T., he was the first developer for Atari to put his, his name on his games. So for a really long time, it was the company that made the game that was important. The, develop, the publisher of the, of the game and not the person that made it. And still to this day, I mean, there are a lot of people you say, oh yeah, I love um, Super Mario Brothers. And like, okay, dude, you know who made it? Uh, Nintendo. Like it's still, it still happens to this day. And, and like guys like David Crane and Howard Scott Warshaw fought 30 years ago to get their names on games and people still are in the same exact boat as they were before and i think really truth be told like it's going to take like another 20 or 30 years for people to know who these guys are and i think it's starting to change now like uh the guy that did Towerfall, Matt Thorson, um he also did Celeste for the Switch and uh it's an amazing game and the name of his company is Matt Makes Games and people if you say Matt Thorson in uh you know a circle of people that know about video games they'll go oh Towerfall, oh Celeste, you know? So the environment is starting to change but casual gamers the same ones that will be able to tell you shakespeare and chris evans and stuff they still can't tell you who made these games and it's kind of sad but at the same time too it's the exact reason why i wrote this book so there's a lot of reasons behind it like i like i've told you but uh it's just it's so easy for gamers to just play the game and not to look deeper. Because, again, what's the what's the thing that's front and center? The visuals of the game, the gameplay. How many games do you have that you ha- you never opened up the instruction manual? And now games, too, for the PS4, Xbox One and stuff. Have you seen the instruction manuals? They're non-existent. So yeah. how you how are you going to find out who made these games unless you go online and do research and how many people actually do that?
0: You can pick up this book and read a story in five to ten minutes and you're done. You're in and out. You've got the whole story from start to finish, and you know all about these, this game that you didn't know about before. It's it's really cool format. I like that, and and that if there is a game that you just don't care about or think you don't care about, you can totally skip it. Although again, I didn't think I would care about Pro Wrestling X, but man, what a story! And that's a modern story. These aren't all retro games. The I should say Pro Wrestling X. The story kind of started ten years ago, but it's ongoing. You're you're talking about you know. I started reading the chapter, and it's like. Oh yeah, there's this on Twitter and Facebook. And I'm like, wait a minute. This isn't a game from the eighties and nineties. <laughs> Why is he writing about this? So you could really cover quite a range. Is is that the most recent game that you write about, you think?
1: Oh, uh, Towerfall is pretty recent. Um Towerfall came out a couple of years ago. Mushroom Eleven it came out a couple of years ago. I'm just looking up and down the list. Squids uh, is relatively recent? Squids is like four or five years ago. So it's like and the thing is though, all of these games like kind of have the reason why I featured a lot of them, like, Squids is probably, like, the best iPhone game ever, and, like, just no one, no one played it because people on the iPhone went quick and dirty, like, pay-to-win type games, and this was just a really phenomenal turn-based RPG that somehow was released on the iPhone because they thought, the creators thought that people on the iPhone wanted to play real games. And it's just a sad story because now they just made the same uh, developer. They're called the Game Bakers. They just made Fury, F-U-R-I, on the Switch and the Xbox One and the PS4. And it's a great game. And people are like, oh, where did these guys come from? And I'm one of those geeks that are like, dude, they made squids like six years ago. And they'll go, what? You know, so I'm one of those people where if I listen to a song, I'll go... Well, you know, they didn't write it. That person wrote it, and they actually did this song that was on this album, like, five years ago. So it's like, games are kind of, like, the same exact way, and I feel like if you only know, like, what's on the back of the box or what's on Wikipedia, you're just robbing yourself of such a rich history. One of the first questions that I would ask these developers is, all right, so tell me everything that's wrong on the Wikipedia page for this game. (laughs) Oh, yeah? Yeah, and, like, Michael Menheim, right away, the guy from Mutant League Football, who, this guy's a freaking genius, uh, He said, he's like, on the Wikipedia page, they said that we, like, use the same engine as the original Madden. He's like, absolutely not. We don't even have the same amount of players on the field. He goes, yeah, of course I spoke to those guys because Madden was amazing and we were working for the same publisher. But it's a completely different game. And I'm like, thank you for telling me that. I'm going to put it in the book. Thank you very much, you know, so... There's so many people, and again, it comes from me spending so many hours of my life in video game stores where people talk about video games, and I just hear it, and I'm like, you're just reciting what you read in a review on GameSpot or IGN or what you read on Wikipedia. You don't really know anything about the game, you know? So getting the opportunity to talk to all of these people is just – I thought I knew a lot about the video game industry before. I know so much more, and I still don't know anything. <laughs>
0: There's some great history in there too and i'm thinking about in nba gem how the nba didn't want to give the license to the nba because they said that arcades were for seedy places and, yep. and arcade cabinets, you know, were in places that were not wholesome. And the developers just look back and they're like, wait a minute. Hold on. Here's some here's some family restaurants and other places that are, are not so seedy. And that's how they got the first license ever. So that tells you a lot about the the time period and the perception of games. There's a lot packed into just one little comment from the NBA.
1: Absolutely. And that's the thing, though, too. Uh, these guys are so freaking smart like they went their initial pitch it was like new york city detroit chicago like all that stuff and then the nba was like nah man nah 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 so then it's like okay like chucky e. cheese you know like little kids playing the game oh it's so much fun and the nba is like oh okay all right we'll do that it's like um in uh the nhl the nhl series like nhlpa 93 um kind of like the same thing happened the nhl players association didn't want a ton of fighting in the game So uh, the guys at EA designed the game so the the amount of fights would would match like the league uh, average at the time. But the thing is, (laughs) EA knew that the people testing the game for the NHL would play the game like a professional, meaning like um, if say you're playing, Cody, you're playing NHL with your friends and the whistle blows. Do you hit your friend?
0: Not typically,
1: no. Ah, oh, then you're too easy. I, I'll nail my friend from the back. Like, whatever. Oh, what happens is another fight. So if you play NHLPA 93 and you hit the guy after the whistle, you could start another fight. But the guys that were testing the game for the NHL didn't play the game that way. So you can get an eight, nine fights a game in NHLPA 93, if you wanted to, if you played it like people that played video games play, if you played it the way a professional hockey player would or somebody that, that would only had like a passing fancy with the video game industry, you'd only get in that 1.6, 1.7 fights per game. So like these guys were super ahead of their time. They knew how to market their games. They knew how to present their games to people in a way where they would be most palatable. So pop culture could accept them for what they were, but then the people that were really in the know understood what they were doing.
0: Yeah, I also like that peek behind the curtain from the game development angle. I mean, reading Maniac Mansion, you learn that in the process of making Maniac Mansion, they basically built a new game engine to even run the thing, which yeah. is kind of cool for, for I think, game developers. I mean, do you think there are a lot of lessons for for game devs today, indie devs, to look back at this book and and learn a lot about just the whole creative process?
1: Oh, Cody, that's like been the coolest part. Because this is the thing too. I'm like a one-man marketing machine and uh I've told people, if you buy the book, send me your picture with the book, and I want to just tell the world how awesome you are. Whatever you're like working on, I want to plug it. You know, I want to tell people like how cool you are for buying my book. And uh at first it was just friends and stuff, so it was cute on Facebook, but then all of a sudden <laughs> it's like this indie developer and that indie developer, and then it's like, oh wait, a guy that I interviewed bought the book, and then it's like Uh, Two days ago, I had Howard Scott Warshaw send me his picture. So he's the developer of E.T. and uh, Yars Revenge, and it's like, oh my god. So I think people that love video games will love this book. I think people that don't understand video games will understand the people behind it and the passion behind it. And then also, too, if you're an indie developer, I think this is, like, must-read because you're going to learn about the politics of the industry, the business of the industry, and then the struggle. It's like... If you have somebody in your family that's 16 or 17 and they're like, "Oh, I want to make games," it's like read this, so you kind of like know what to expect from you know AAA companies and also the struggle of being an indie voice in a in a in a really tough world.
0: Do you have a favorite story, or what's the story that when people ask you about this book, what's the story you tell people the most? What's I mean, what's the thing that really blew your mind, or do you think really will? will make people run out and buy your book frankly
1: it's so it's so hard because it's like um i will say i'll tell you something but i I can't tell you like the whole thing um this game this book could have had like another three or four chapters in it like there was three or four other games that um i cut because i felt like the stories weren't as good and i'm actually still working with the developers to try and get more out of them i won't reveal the names of the games obviously but uh i tried to make sure like uh this book was like that some 41 album, like all killer, no filler, you know? And, uh, all of these chapters like resonate with me in one way or another, but it's kind of funny that you mentioned pro wrestling X, because I remember reading through that chapter, um, on my way home from work again, like when I got like my final proofs and I had to make final edits and I was just like, this is a story that I feel like every indie developer should read. This guy sunk over a quarter of a million dollars into the development of the game just based on like pure passion so it's like oh that to me like dave Wisnowski is an amazing man um he just he loves wrestling video games it's like and all of these guys if you go up and down there was not one stooge among this <laughs> entire seriously like I've interviewed so many people before and like, oh my God, I'm probably going to catch some flack for, flack for this. But like, I remember like interviewing Paul Heyman and uh, he could not break out of character. I remember we did, we did the interview and I had to stop it. And I'm like, Paul, like, could I just talk to like the person and not like the character? You know, and we ended up getting like two or three minutes and I was just like, okay, yeah, like we're done. Thank you. And he was like, oh, no problem, Paul Heyman. <laughs> Like shit. Oh, pardon my French. Um, but I was just like, oh my god, like can you be yourself? Can you be real? And um i I'm looking down this list now, the chapter list, and all of these guys and gals have their own distinct personality. Like Howard Scott Warshaw from E.T. and uh Yar's Revenge. I love this man because he he was the first person. Every other person, like I sent them the chapter before I printed it, and I told them I'm like Let's make sure that, like, everything is factually correct, you know? And uh, Howard Scott Warshaw called me out, and he was like, it's all factually correct, he goes, but... He goes, I feel like it's missing something. He goes, I feel like we need to talk a little bit more, and da 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 and we ended up talking more. And then he read the, chapter and he, the chapters again, and he was like, I feel like if you do this for every chapter, like, you're going to have, like, a bestseller on your hands. So he wow. really challenged me, and he made me go through all of the chapters again, because after I went through his... And I added, like, another, like, not a lot, like, three, four hundred words of, like, polish and stuff. And uh, then I started to really get happy with the uh, final product. And, again, to make another wrestling uh, reference. Do you watch the WWE Network at all? I a little bit, yeah. So, uh... Bradshaw, uh, used to have, uh, this, this like interview show on the WWE network and he would interview like all these legends and stuff. Yeah. The first two or three minutes, he would just sell the living crap out of the person. Like he would be like, Bruno San Martino, you the WWE title for blah, 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 blah. And he would just sell the hell out of the person for the first two or three minutes. to the point where you were like, wow, this guy is awesome. Like, I really want to hear what this guy has to say. So I, I was like, you know what? If I could do that for each chapter of this book, like really sell this game to the person and let them know like the legacy behind it and stuff and then let the person talk then I think I'll have like captivating stuff so that's what I tried to do for the beginning of every chapter but um to answer your question um pro wrestling x is definitely up there um boy and his blob is definitely up there because those guys made a game in six weeks that's that's absolutely amazing and then uh the chapter that I'm the most proud of though is night trap because uh, it's probably the longest chapter in the book, but also, too, Night Trap is considered one of the most controversial games of all time, and um, you really find out what that game did to that developer. Um, Rob Phillip. his uh, his girlfriend left him because of that game. Oh, no. Because it was so controversial at the time, and um, this this is one of the guys, he programmed Missile Command on the Atari 2600. It's one of the greatest games of all time. And uh, after this happened, he kind of had like that black... Uh, that black mark on his forehead so he went out and he created uh the cats and dogs series and if you don't if you if you've never played cats and dogs before uh without that you'd never have Dogs. so the guy went from creating one of the most controversial games of all time to creating one of the cutest games of all time <laughs> the series also sold over 40 million copies so he's uh the guy's a complete legend but he has this like wild range so uh and now he's a dad and That chapter is just great, too, because he talks about how the video game industry obsoletes itself every couple of years. Like, every couple of years, all the games that you played, they don't update them anymore. And, like, you can only play them if you have the, the original hardware. So, it's like, I have an Atari 2600, and I still buy games for it all the time. But it's, like, it's such a pain in the neck to, like, hook up and to make sure everything works and stuff like that. So, it's so different. Like, you can open up, you know, Tom Sawyer tomorrow. And it'll be the same exact way as someone that read it 200 years ago, you know, or 150 years ago when it came out. Oh, my God. Um, You know, but uh, video games, completely different. Somebody playing, you know, Super Mario World today on the on the, you know, 3DS. It's completely different from the Super Mario World that came out on the Super Nintendo, you know. So uh, and then mobile games. Oh, my God. Mobile games are updated like once a week. It's ridiculous. So that sense of history is kind of it's almost forgotten in the video game industry and being able to speak to people like Dave and Mark Turmel and, and uh, David Crane and Howard Scott Warshaw and Rob Phillip and all these people, it really like just legitimized to me, how important preserving the history of the video game industry is.
0: I really do mean this. It's good for anybody, whether you are really into video games or not. You do a really great job of setting the stage. And I have noticed exactly what you said earlier about how you kind of set the stage by saying, here's why this game is a big deal. Here's why it matters. You give a lot of really great context up front and then get into the interviews. And it's just super fast in and out. The book is The Minds Behind the Games, Interviews with Cult and Classic Video Game Developers. There will be a link in the show notes for people to pick it up. And, of course, you can find it on Amazon and and all all the rest of the places. And before I let you go, you're doing voice acting also? What's up? What's going on there?
1: Oh, my God. It's so crazy. And I have to say it's like the last year of my life between, like, becoming a father and uh writing this book it's it's and becoming a voice actor it's just become full circle Uh, i'm 34 years old and i feel like all of the hard work that i've put in for you know 15 years is finally starting to like kind of come to fruition so i'm not only doing voice acting but i'm also writing the story for a video game that's currently in production it's called treason in space and uh, on uh on the development team for that game are people that have worked on Sunset Overdrive, Bioshock Infinite, God of War, Madden 18, Overwatch, League of Legends. So it's like I'm writing a game with a A team. I'm like super stoked right now. Um the way the voice acting thing happened was, is pretty funny because uh, the same way that I found you on Twitter, I saw I'm always on Twitter looking at indie games. Like uh, you run your own site, you're constantly looking for content, and I love being that person that like interviews somebody for the first time. So uh, I saw a an animated gif, or gif, whatever you want to call it, um, <laughs> of this like voxelized priest. So it's kind of like a a priest like in Minecraft visuals getting like slapped by like an animated tree. And I was like, whoa, this game looks pretty cool. So I emailed the developer, and the name of the game is The Padre. It's from a uh, Hungarian developer called Shotgun with Glitters. And I emailed them, and I was the first person to ever interview them. So after the interview ran, they were super happy with it. They retweeted it, and then they, they said to me, do you, do you want to try the game? Like, it's in pre-alpha, like, it's really bare bones, but do you want to try it? And I'm like, sure. So... As soon as I start playing it, I fall in love with it, but I realize that the dialogue is like in broken English. Like, these guys are—English are, is obviously their second language. So um, I took a shot in the dark, and I said, Guys, I'm an English professor in addition to being a journalist, and I would love to edit all of the dialogue in your game, because I feel like if I do that, your game will be marketedly better. So they were like, Okay. So we came up with a price for my services and now all of a sudden oh my god like i'm the story editor for a game wow so what happens is now like a month or so goes by and the game's getting ready to go to kickstarter and a couple of days before like a couple of weeks before we we were getting ready to go to kickstarter i get a call um and uh they're like our voice actor left and I was like, I could do the voice. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, I could do the voice. I'm like, uh, the guy that was doing the voice of the Padre, it was like a very, you know, standard English accent, you know, <laughs> and uh, this is like a scary game. It's like, you're stuck in like this mansion and, and like, you know, there's zombies and like, it's pretty crazy. So, I went in my man cave and I, I just I've always been able to do like that movie trailer voice like, in a world one man, Robert De Niro. He is Gumby. I don't know. You know, and uh, did you just do that. Yes, I just did that voice, Cody, just for you. That voice.
0: And uh, dude, that was too
1: good. <laughs> So what happened was, I'm saying to myself, this guy had a British accent, so what if I kind of combined, like oh, the hoy toy English accent with, in a world, and I came up with, hello, my name is Alexander the Padre, I'm English from a zombie hunting priest, and I sent it to them, and they loved it, and I'm like, within, like, four hours, I had recorded, like, all of the dialogue for the game, and they put it in right away, And we recorded the trailer, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm the star of this freaking game. Holy crap! Um, So that happened in, like, October. So um, I didn't want to be a one-hit wonder, so I started, like, reaching out to other uh, indie game developers and stuff like that. And that's how I met Pete Paul Kett, who was an animator on uh, Bioshock Infinite. And uh, he's working on um, Overwatch right now. He's an amazing animator. He was the animator, one of the animators for Ice Age. And robots and Rio, he's amazing. So, uh, he decided that he wanted to do a, uh, a game with his, uh, with his brother. Uh, it's a, it's gonna be kind of like a first person shooter. I don't wanna give away too many details, but the name of it is Treason in Space. So, uh, they asked me to write, like, they gave me the premise and they asked me to write the story, and I'm voicing, um, one of the robots in the game, and he's kind of like Sheldon from Big Bang Theory. He's just like super smart, but like hates human beings. <laughs> so, like, they add a robot effect to my voice, but I kind of sound like Kit from Knight Rider in it. It's pretty cool. Um, and then, lastly, about two months ago, I came across Kevin Wins on Twitter, and he's making this game called uh, Relentless Rex. And it's kind of like a combination of uh, Runner and uh, Rayman. And, uh, it's so funny i saw on twitter the voices that he wanted for the game so like he posted like pictures of like, kevin michael richardson tony todd all of these like very bassy voices to be uh to be the voice of the t-rex in the game because it's like this t-rex that chases after this little dinosaur throughout the entire level and you have to avoid him it's, it's really fun and frenetic so uh I just busted his chops for like a week and I'm like, bro, I could do a voice for you. And he's like, oh, you know, we'll see. And And then it just got to the point where I, I said, send me something to read. And if you don't like it, I won't be mad. It's okay. So then he sent me like this whole thing, and then I just came up with this: "I'm relentless, Rex. I'm a T-Rex, and I run, and I bite, and I chew, and la la la, la, la You know, something like that. And it's kind of like Shredder from from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, with like a little like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like when I say here, when I say here, so like I say here, it, like Arnold Schwarzenegger. So um, now <laughs> five six months go by, and now I, I have voice credits in three games. And I think it all comes down to being able to write this book. I had to really put myself out there, really put myself on the radar, send pitches to so many people and not be scared to really like sell myself. And, uh, I've done voices my entire life. I've been making prank phone calls my entire life. <laughs> and, um, uh, people would always tell me that I was really good at it. and I just didn't know how to get started. So, um, being a dad really changed me in the fact that like, I don't have nearly as much spare time as I used to. So I try and make like every minute count. And this is something that I always wanted to do. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to reach out to people and I'm going to, I'm going to throw my services out there. And uh, it's just like a Testament to like everybody. Like if you want something, you have to fight every second for it. You have to just go out and do it to the best of your ability. There's like a huge problem in our society that like a lot of people don't know the difference between saying you're going to do something and actually doing it. So I try and just everything that I say that I want to do, I do. And, uh, like I said, writing the book, uh, and doing voice acting, those are two things that I always wanted to do. And I didn't want to be one of those people that, like, sits in Starbucks all day and says that they're a writer. Like, no, I'm a writer, and I went out and I wrote a book. I wanted to be a voice actor, and I went out and I did it. So now I am a voice actor. So, yeah, it all came down to, like, just this book. This book, like, was a huge change in me. And the pressures of being a, a dad with unfulfilled dreams, that that was the basis. That's, like, I owe my daughter everything. all My wife and my daughter all of my success because... It's to be the person that, that I need to be in order to make them both happy. That's how this all came to be.
0: I was going to wrap up the interview by saying something like, you just told the stories of so many developers. I'm going to ask you your story and kind of why you wrote the book. But man, you just you just did it. <laughs> <laughs> I know where you're coming from and that is awesome. But you are a talented guy too. I mean, it's not, you didn't just jump on Twitter and say, I'm going to be a voice actor and start talking. I mean, your your voices are really damn good. The last voice you did reminded me of something from a TV show and Mm -hmm. it is going to drive me completely insane. It's going to drive me to actual literal madness that I (laughs) cannot think of what it was. But uh, congratulations on the book. And you said you're also working on a sequel to The Minds Behind the Games, right? So there's going to be a second book maybe similar in format to this one? Well, yeah,
1: basically, because this is the thing, too. It's like um, there are so many good video game like journalists out there like, you know, Brett Weiss and, and Leonard Herman and Ken Horowitz. And like they're all on their second, third or fourth books. And I'm like, I really enjoy doing this book, but I feel like if I could do another one, Like every two or three years, I think it would be great for the industry, but it would also be great in establishing the genre for future writers. So it's like uh, whenever I see another writer writing video game stuff, I always reach out to them and I'm like, let me interview you for my site. So it's so funny because your tweet that you that you published a guy that's writing an NBA jam book retweeted it and I'm going to reach out to him in a little while and I'm going to be like dude let's let's do an interview let me talk to you about your book because I feel like if I promote the genre of like video game history books and I try and make it as palatable and entertaining to as many people as possible that's going to make their work thrive and it's going to also make mine thrive as well so The reason why I wanted to write the second book is because if I want to be a voice, if I want to have credibility, I have to keep doing this. Like, I want to write these books for, like, the rest of my life. So the hope would be, like, five or six years from now, I have, like, another two or three books out. And what I could do is go to my publisher and say, all right, so instead of me doing another book, like, next year, why don't we take all of the Super Nintendo developers that I spoke to and let's just compile it and make a Super Nintendo book. Or let's just do a Genesis book. So they could be, like, all these spinoffs and, like different variations of the book so i don't know just ideas constant
0: ideas if only you could bring a little enthusiasm to the table patrick that's all that's all you know (laughs) just a little bit and you know what i did place my finger on the voice that you're reminding me of and you're going to die when i tell you this what is it the Shockmaster.
1: Yes, the Shock Yes. Because what happened was um I have a couple of really close friends and whenever I do like a uh know audition, I'll send it to them and like be brutal with me. And they're like, Yeah, dude, you sound like the shockmaster, like you're gonna fall through a well like I am the shockmaster. Yes!
0: Yes, oh my god, that is you're it. Oh, there you go. Oh man, for anybody that's not a wrestling fan, I will post a link in the show notes to the YouTube video of the Shockmaster. It's an infamous very infamous wrestling segment that you'll you'll have seen it if you've ever watched Botchamania. pretty much.
1: It's so funny, though, because that voice is Ole Anderson using like a uh, like an effect on his voice. And what happened was my buddy was like, there's no effect on your voice. I'm like, no, that's just my voice. And he's like, he's like, you're a freak. He's like, how the hell did you do that? So I'm like, I don't know. There's something wrong with me.
0: It's it's really really impressive stuff and and super awesome and at game life balance we're gonna keep an eye for sure on on all of your upcoming books I would love to talk to you again about anything else you've got coming up in the future definitely follow you're on Twitter at reviewfix correct yes yes I am all right so people can follow you there and I gotta ask uh, my mm-hmm. regular co-host on game life balance US is is Jonathan Martin and right now he and I are going procedurally through the SNES classic and reviewing snes classic games do you have any plans to talk to any developers of any of those games by any chance
1: yeah absolutely and that's the thing too like uh there's a couple of super nintendo games in uh the first book but for the most part it's a lot of genesis games because uh that was the system that i kind of grew up playing the most but i definitely want to get some super nintendo games in the next book so absolutely the thing is too it's hard because a lot of people ask me uh, because when I first started writing the book, the, S- the NES classic came out, and if you went on Nintendo site, what they had was like little eight hundred, nine hundred word blurbs about how the g- how the games were created from the developers. So I kind of said to myself, "Oh my god, you just like you made it impossible for me to like do a chapter on these people, <laughs> you know?" So, um, yeah. so yeah. So what I would do is. I would I would probably take a couple of games off of that list like that I could try and get, but then I would also try and find games on the Super Nintendo that people completely forgot about too. Because I'm I'm in- I'm interested more in the people. The game has to be like important It has to have some type of pop cultural significance. But I'm looking to like really tell a good story. So like Star Fox, for instance, may be a great game, but the develop development cycle might have been really boring. So who cares? You know. So it's really hard picking games that fit into, like, this uh, this structure.
0: Sure. Well, if you end up talking to the guy that did—the people that did the original F-Zero, let me know, because I want to know what—what what, what happened. What just—that's <laughs> a weird game. We just reviewed it. It's a—it's weird, and I want to hear about it. But uh, check out this book. It's The Minds Behind the Games, Interviews with Cult and Classic Video Game Developers by Patrick Hickey Jr., Keep an eye on ReviewFix.com and follow him at ReviewFix on Twitter and look out, if, especially if you're a wrestling fan, there's going to be even more to look for. And if there's anything else that uh, you didn't get a chance to say, now's your chance to do it.
1: Yeah, sure. The only other thing that I want to say is thank you so much for having me. And uh, also, too, I have my own official site, PatrickHickeyJr.com, where you guys can uh, find out a little bit more about me, about the book, about my voice acting. And also, too, if you want a personalized copy of the book, you can purchase the book through my official site and i will sign it and i will write a little note to you um i put like bookmarks in there i put like baseball cards for people like all sorts of cool stuff just so they know that like i'm i'm happy that they picked up the book and to also have the connection with them that they probably wouldn't have with most other authors so it's like uh it's not going to cost you anything extra for me to sign the book or write anything in it and put something like special in there but it will be like a nice touch so if you're really uh interested in that then just head to Patrick Hickey Jr. Dot com.
0: thank you so much for joining me on the podcast i really appreciate it
1: no problem man thank you so much for having me much appreciated <laughs>